0: okay so we're in matthew chapter 13 this morning so there's a this is a series of parables and there's a lot of ways we could approach this i could go the slow way and go through each one about one per week and it would make this series way longer than 24 weeks all right it would be but the other problem with that is i think it the theme there's themes here okay the the par- these parables overlap in their meaning, and so it makes sense to do this thematically. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to skip any. I'm just going to do them kind of out of order, okay? I'm sure Matthew will be fine with that, all right? So I'll do them a little bit out of order, but we're going to group them together by, kinda, by the meaning of the parable. And I want to say one thing just up front about parables. is the mis- People find them difficult, and the main reason why people find them difficult to interpret is because they put themselves in the wrong place in the parable. And usually, human nature being what it is, we put ourselves in the most in the place in the parable that's most makes us look the best. okay? So we tend to think, I'm, st- I'm in, in this scene with Jesus talking to the crowd. I'm standing like right next to him going, yeah, 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 you, you tell him. You tell him, Jesus, you know, that guy right there, he needs to hear this, right? and And then you go, "Well, I don't understand the meaning because I, how does this apply to my life? Well, you're probably putting yourself in the wrong place. you're It's more likely that you're standing in the crowd somewhere, either getting annoyed or confused. Why this guy is talking this way, It seems counterproductive, okay? That's probably more like where you are, okay? So that's my first caution, and probably the easiest, the the, the first mistake people make. And I'm hoping you won't make that. Um, if you find yourself pulling out your phone, think, think being compelled to text a friend and say this, you really need to hear this sermon. You're probably missing the point, right? It's probably they're probably thinking that about you right now. If you both text each other at the same time, you probably to hear this sermon. Then maybe you're onto something, all right? You both need to hear it. All right. So Matthew 13. We'll start with. Um, why Jesus speaks in parables to begin with. It's very popular to say that Jesus spoke and talked in parables and told stories because we like stories, and Jesus is trying to make his message compelling. And actually, what you find right here in Jesus tells us why he tells the parables is actually the opposite of that. All right, so it immediately challenges our preconceived notions. Here's what he says in Matthew 10, 10 to 13, or excuse me, Matthew 13, 10 to 13. In hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So the disciples asked Jesus why he taught people in parables, especially this particular crowd. And he says he's intentionally veiling the truth from them. He's intentionally making it hard for them to understand his message. You're like, well, that seems kind of like that's my bad communication technique. I'm going to think of a way to communicate with you that actually conceals what I'm trying to say instead of making it easy. Does that mess with your theology a little bit? Jesus is explicitly clear about, what, about, about this simple truth. He's intentionally teaching in a way that veils the truth. He's teaching in a way that avoids, quoting Jesus earlier, or throwing pearls before, before swine. He's presenting the truth in a way that only those who are truly seeking, who truly want to hear, will press in beyond that veil and perceive what Jesus is saying. Those who are already open or whose hearts are softened towards him, who really want to hear what he has to say, are going to press through this story that's a little confusing and get to the truth that he's actually trying to say. And those who who have a hard heart and are just hanging around because they're impressed by the crowd or they're impressed by the miracles or they're hoping to get some benefit without following Jesus, they want the gift and not the giver, they're, not, they're just going to be turned off like this guy doesn't make any sense and either just not pay attention at all or just walk away frustrated. And Jesus is doing that on purpose. People walking away from your ministry is not necessarily a sign of your failure. Because Jesus doesn't fail. He's intentionally putting up a barrier. This goes against kind of like everything the church growth movement told us. Like every, at the foundation of it. Would just make it easy for people, make it easy for people to come in, make a wide road instead of a narrow one. It goes against the whole thing, doesn't it? Jesus didn't buy into that. So those who have hardened their hearts toward Jesus will not understand and they will walk away frustrated, and he seems to be totally okay with that. It's really challenging to my whole mindset. about what ministry is all right so let's so now that we kind of understand what jesus is doing here he's confronting the crowd he's testing the crowd he doesn't trust the crowd he's not impressed by the crowd in fact he looks at it and Goes, how can i weed out the people that are not here for the wrong reasons to get down to the real disciples right and so he tells these stories that obscures it so let's look at some of them the first one we have two i'm going to group together which is the parable of the weeds and the parable of the net okay Matthew 13, 24 to 30 says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds, or sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. A lot of, lots of W's there. Sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. <laughs> so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this parable and the parable of the net carry the same meaning. The parable of the net is a bunch of fishermen go out, they throw a net into the water, they catch a bunch of fish and other stuff, and they pull all of it in, and then they sort. And they sort out the good fish and the bad fish. The bad fish they throw away to be burned, the good fish they keep. And Jesus says at the end, at the end of days, this is what it'll be like in the church. You'll have some that belong and some that don't, and they'll be sorted out at the end, just like in the parable of the weeds, all right? So Jesus explains this. He actually tells you what it means, which is great. It's great when you have a key to the parables. The disciples you Jesus later, what did you mean by that? And he explains. So Jesus is speaking in parables, and what he's doing, he's saying, this is you. He's telling the crowd, this is, this, you are made up of, you are comprised of people who belong, who are my disciples, who want to follow me, and people who don't. And I'm not going to sort it out right now. I'm going to preach the same thing to all of you, right? That's why we call it, now we call this idea the visible and the invisible church. The visible church is everybody I see. The invisible church is the people within that that are actually Christians. And I have no way of knowing, not really, not definitively knowing who's who, right? Right? So, this parable is going to, then we have the parable of the sower, which I think gives us a little more definition to what Jesus is doing here. Matthew chapter 13, 3 to 9. This one will be familiar to many of you. And remember here, put yourself in the right place in the story. Okay? Verse 3, he says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. So Jesus gives us four categories of hearers, okay? Obvious question is, which one are you? Four categories. One is the path. This is the person who does not perceive the message at all. It's, you, you, you share the gospel, the gospel is seen. Jesus does a miracle with it, however it's presented. The person sees the thing happen or hears the message and doesn't even understand it or perceive it at all. His heart is hard and closed. He does not have ears to hear, as Jesus would put it. And Satan comes along and just snatches the seed away out of his heart before he can even digest it. Number two is the rocky ground. This person receives the gospel at first, quite possibly because of witnessing a miracle or some other benefit of knowing God or being around other Christians, but does not actually believe in or want to follow Jesus. And then persecution or hardship comes along and they're just snatched right out of the ground because they have no root. They look really impressive. They hear the gospel, they come down front, they say the prayer, they fill out the card, however it is you do that thing. And then they seem like super pumped, I'm, I'm really into this Jesus thing. And then a little bit of hardship or a little bit of persecution comes along and the, the, it's like the wind just blows them away. And Like what happened to so and so? They were so on fire yesterday. What happened is they had no roots. Persecution and hardship, this is one of the main functions of that in the Christian life, is it tests whether or not you have roots or not. We all know people who have been tested by incredible hardship and remain joyful and in love with Jesus. And that's, you look at that and you go, man, that's beautiful. I mean, the hardship is hard, right? But what a beautiful thing is that their faith was tested and it it was shown to be true, right? Number three, we have thorns. That's the third category. This is the person who hears and receives the gospel, takes it in, believes, but allows the concerns of the world and the desire for riches to choke out the fruit of the gospel in their life. This person is more enamored with this life than the life of Jesus. The rich young ruler is a great example of that. Jesus says, yeah, you can follow me. Just give away everything you have. And he walks away sad because he knows it's impossible. He can't do it. He stands and he hymns and he haws. I don't know, all this wealth or Jesus. I can't can't choose. And he walks away without Jesus. And then the fourth category is good soil. This is the person who truly hears, truly receives the gospel with joy, and then follows Christ no matter the cost. Then Jesus goes on to describe, this is all connected, I hope you can kind of see this, in this veiled way, the value of the kingdom of God. He's going to show how silly it is to be indecisive and not sure if you want to trade your comfort and your life and your stuff for Jesus and his kingdom, right? He says the kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed that grows into a great tree. That's the first metaphor he gives. Teeny, tiny mustard. is one mustard seed, and what it can become is this massive tree that can be a shade for many people. He says the kingdom is like a tiny grain of yeast that can transform simple ingredients into bread. A Tiny little grain of yeast. He says the kingdom is so valuable that it's worth any cost to obtain it. Talking about the hidden treasure in a field, and the guy knows that there's a hidden treasure there, so he buys the whole field. He spends all he has to buy the field to get the treasure in it. Or the pearl of great price. He says there's this pearl, and it's so valuable, I'll sell everything I have and trade all that I have for that one beautiful pearl. In other words, whatever discipleship is going to cost you, it's more than worth the price. This is what Jesus is saying through those pictures. So if you tie this back in, right, with the thorns and the parable of the sower, what Jesus is saying to this crowd is, look, if you're standing there with the, this, he says, the deceitfulness of riches. So all the stuff you have, like we're rich, let's be honest, even the poorest person in this room is rich by world standards. And the primary concern of your soul is to attain comfort and safety above all else, and then to maintain it as long as you can into your old age and just maintain, like, just my little world that's safe in my own little fortress of cash and stuff and pile all my stuff around me like walls inside of a fortress. And if I just stay here in my nice little bubble of prosperity then I'll be fine. And that's the primary concern of your soul. You have been deceived by riches. Because then Jesus comes along and says, give it all away for me. Would you do it? Whether you have to do it or not. Whether he actually asks you to do it or not, we should all be willing. Because those things deceive us. So in the parable of the sower, only the fourth good soil person saw the great value of the kingdom that Christ is offering to the extent that they are willing to trade their life and their comfort for it. That's the definition of good soil. The first guy, the path guy, doesn't even see it. Doesn't even see the pearl. Doesn't even perceive it at all. Completely hardened. I think Jesus would say it'll be worse, right? Didn't he say it'll be worse for those who see and perceive and then reject than for those who don't see it at all. It will actually be easier for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Jerusalem. It's not lost on me that in this very moment I'm talking to a crowd just like Jesus talked to. There's the crowd here of people I know. There's the crowd online of who knows. But I think I'm most concerned as I've been praying about this about those who belong to the thorny ground category. I might be reading this wrong, but I think Jesus is most concerned with them too. Because these are people who have seen and tasted and received and believed and yet are still kind of going, I don't know if it's worth it. I think it's time for us to stop being indecisive and double-minded about how far in you're willing to go in following Jesus. What if, what if you prayed and said, God, if I'm deceived by my riches, would you do whatever it takes to break that over my life? And what if his answer to that was to make you poor? What if that was his answer? Not to have some kind of theoretical spiritual moment at church where you repent, but if he actually made you poor because that was the only way for you to really be good soil? What if that was his answer? We're not saying it is, but what if? Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with having to live in somebody else's basement for the rest of your life just so you could be that person? I don't know, it's a tough question. But it's time to stop hanging out by the exit just in case you want to bail out. You know that person at the party who's not sure they want to be there so they hang out by the exit door? and they and they they, they kind of go well i got I got a thing i got I gotta get to, and uh, I just gotta leave soon and they 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 they're not sure about the guest list and who's there, and if they're going to like the party so they hang out and they keep an exit open for themselves until they're really sure they want to be there, and then three hours later they're still there, and what happened to that appointment? Oh, I got canceled, you know, don't be that person. I mean, if it's a lame party, that's fine but You get the metaphor, right? We live in a time when it's popular to deconstruct your faith apart from Christ. You know what? That makes, makes me angry. I don't know that's not appropriate to say that. Let's be patient with people. If you want to question things with Christ, with him helping you question things, that's one thing. It's another thing to say, Jesus, you go over there and you hold your Bible over there. I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to sit over here and with my reason and logic and and, and capacities for, uh, you know, for reason, I'm going to figure everything out on my own and we'll see if I go back to you or not. It's like standing over the treasure in the ground and going, I don't know if this is really valuable. You don't have that power. It's like standing over the pearl of great price and trying to haggle over the price. You're going to haggle with God? You're going to stand at the foot of the cross while he dies for you and question whether or not it's worth it or not? You're going to stand at the mouth of the open tomb and go, I don't know. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Judge him and his sacrifice for you. you I don't know if it's worth it. Can Can you just let me keep some of my stuff? See, This is what Jesus is saying to this crowd. He is not pulling punches. It's veiled. But for those who have ears to hear, it's pretty intense. Remember, he just got done saying telling the people who thought they were the holy ones, the chosen ones, the chosen people of God, the ones who were in because of where they were born. He just got t- done telling them, you're actually going to have a harder time in hell than Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't, need to, I don't need to remind you what was going down in Sodom. I mean, talk about insulting. And now he's telling them that he's sown all this seed and then they want to haggle with him over whether it's work. Can you just do one more miracle for me? Then maybe I'll follow you. Can you just do one more? Can you just, if you'll heal me, then I'll follow you. If you'll make my life, if you will give me my soul's desire, if you'll give me what I've been expecting riches to give me, if you'll give me the same thing, then I'll follow you. And what does Jesus say? we get to this a little bit later, but what he says is, take up your cross and follow me. He says to his actual disciples, not, hey, look, if you follow me, I'll make you rich. Because that's what they're asking, right? I know I'm getting ahead into other stories. I'm going to probably preach again. You'll be like, you already said this. We'll get over it, right? They said, who's going to be first in heaven? Who's going to be first? Who's going to get to hang out right next to you in heaven? And he says, you're asking the wrong question. The last will be first. The first will be last. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what a disciple is. So here's my appeal to you this morning. Don't stand with the crowd who rejected Christ because they didn't consider him valuable enough to follow or sacrifice for. Don't define what it means to be a disciple of Christ by your attendance in meetings. Haven't we learned this this year? As I've been praying about this the last couple of days, I keep having this mental picture of a door closing. Slowly closing. You seem like you've been in a dark room and light in the hallway and the door slowly closes and the light gets smaller and smaller until it's closed. I think that's God's way of saying that you are not in control of whether or not the door is open or shut. You are not in charge of how long you have to say yes to him. The door of access to him and his gospel is not opened and held open by you. You are not guaranteed even the rest of your life. We tend to think, well, if you were to die today. Now, that's not the question. The question is, will Jesus remain patient with you with your desire to him and haul and haggle with him, over the price of his death and resurrection? How long will he endure that insult from you? Or will he just shut the door? And it's his mercy that the door has not shut already, that any of us were given the chance. It is arrogant to say, well, one day I'll say yes to him. Because he may just say, you know what, I'm not asking anymore, I'm not offering anymore, and you just go off into your hard-heartedness and find yourself in category one, which is the person who can't even perceive the gospel anymore, who is completely hard, can't even see it. That is lostness. So I'm very compelled this morning just to to warn us, to warn everyone who's listening. The door is not open because of you. The door is always open because of him. And it will not remain open forever. Don't presume on the mercy of God. Verse 58 says that Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I don't believe that's because their unbelief had power over him. I believe it's because Jesus withheld himself because of their unbelief. That's scarier to me. The idea that Jesus would be like, look, all you want is a miracle. All you want is a show. All you want is a crowd. All you want is to be impressed. You want a magic show. You want to be blown away by the miracle, but you don't want me. And if you don't want me, I'm not going to give you the miracles. I don't want that to be said of me or you. These parables are scary. I don't want it to be said of me, you know, I would have done more in your church if you had just not been so attached to your stuff. You choked out the fruit with the deceitfulness of riches. So I'd like to close this morning with just praying for our unbelief. I think that's, I can't just be like, I believe now. I'm really in, you know. Um, I want the Spirit to get me to the point where I can answer that question. Of God, if God, if what it takes to make me good soil is to be poor, all right, if what it takes is that, that I'll be willing to do that. That if I was the rich young ruler asking Jesus, can I follow you? And he says, yes, if you'll give away all that you have, that I would not even hesitate, that I would be like the man in the parable who saw the pearl of great price and went and sold all that he had for that. That's what I want in my heart. Miracles are not, revival or not, I want revival. I'm praying. Everybody's praying for revival, and I am one of them. But I don't want to have to have revival before I'll follow him like this. Why should I wait for revival? So that's who I want to be. So I'd like us to stand up together. If that's what you want, then I want to pray. God, first, we just, um, we count ourselves as those in the crowd this morning. God, we want to be good soil. God, so first, I pray for those who are so hard-hearted that would hear this message this morning that can't even perceive it, can't understand, don't even know what I'm talking about. Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes right now? God, give them, grant them ears to hear. God, I pray for those of us who are um, just... Who appear to be in, who appear to be on fire for you, but who who aren't really, God, who who don't have any roots, who are not willing to to sacrifice anything for you, Lord, would you expose that to them? Let them see it now. They would not be deceived, and draw them further in. And God, for the rest of us in the thorny ground, who were just, who are allowing the concerns of the world and deceitfulness of riches to choke out the fruit in our life, God, we repent. God, our hearts are so deceitful. The comfort of our stuff is so deceitful. We so often mistake that for even your presence. God, I pray that we would be people who are not impressed by stuff. God, I pray that our worship would not be dependent on good music. God, I pray that our sense of your presence with us when we gather would not be dependent on how many people are gathered. God, I pray that our desire for your word would not be dependent on how well it's presented. God, I pray that our passion for you would not be dependent on how, on how much our culture accepts the message to begin with. God, I pray that, the, that our hearts would be moved by the great value of you and your kingdom. God, that we would see the pearl for what it is. God, that we would see the treasure for what it is. God, that we would be moved and overwhelmed and overcome by the incredible value of what you have done and what you offer us. God, you have offered us to come and sit at your table as your friends and as your family members in your kingdom to live with you eternally forever. And whatever cost it may cost us now, whether it be Just not having what everyone else has, whether it be enduring some hardship or persecution. God, whatever the cost is, even if the cost is our very lives, it is more than worth it. And how silly of us to barter with you over the price. God, help us. God, we repent of that. We don't like it. We don't like what we see in our hearts in that regard. And we ask you, Lord, would you help us with our unbelief? God, I pray that the fruitfulness of what you put in us would be overwhelming. I want to be in the hundredfold group. I mean, it's cool to be 30-fold, but a hundredfold will be great. A hundred times over. God, that the deposit you've put in this church would be like a mustard seed growing into a mighty tree. It's in our logo, the tree. God, I pray that that would be what this church is. We don't have much. We often say that. And it's true. It doesn't take much. In your kingdom, it doesn't take much. And so, God, I pray that you would multiply the fruit here in this place, that we would have faith for that, that we would um, cast off unbelief, God. that we would cast off this this kind of hemming and hawing, double-mindedness about, I'm not sure if it's worth the cost, but God, that we would begin to examine our lives. No, God, we ask you to examine our lives. We are terrible at examining our lives. Would you come and examine us and do whatever it takes, God, to make us good soil? That the multiplication of fruit in Living Hope Church would be beyond imagination. We don't want to wait for revival to be this way. So, God, would you do a deep work in us? God, we just pray for souls. Souls that were once hard, stony ground who have become good soil. Because the door is closing. God, we don't hold it open, but you do. So, God, would you have mercy? God, we pray first for family members, people that just we know. God, we also pray for the city and this nation, God, that there will be a tremendous harvest, that the, the stony ground will become good soil. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the only one who can do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Love you guys. Have an excellent week. See you next time.